Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Strategy Game Podcast. And today I am super excited to have Mike Gonzalez on uh, from askmikegonzalez.com. He has been such a great partner on many uh, projects that we've worked on and just a, just a great strategy mind. And we think alike on a lot of things. So just really excited to have him on and uh, have him share. So Mike, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, so today we're going to dive into some really cool stuff around word of mouth strategy, and I'm excited to get into that. But first, I always like to start with a story and just your personal story and your journey throughout your career of how you got to where you are today, because a lot of times that reveals a lot about um, where somebody came from and it's a winding road, right, for all of us. And those pieces, those puzzle pieces usually speak to our experience and our wisdom reflected in our client work. So could you just share a little bit with our audience about your personal career journey and how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so I am actually uh, from a very large family. I'm one of eight. I was homeschooled from beginning to end and uh, actually started uh, my first company when I was in middle school. I was uh, ran a little PC repair company out of my garage. And uh, it was kind of the word on the street was, if your computer was broken, you bring it by my house. I'll remove the viruses. I'll make it run faster. Um, but I did that throughout middle school, leading into high school. And as I was doing that, I discovered a, a passion for not only how to make computers work better, but how to actually make the software on the computers easier to use. I was getting questions from people all the time. You know, how do I do this? This seems complicated. And so I began to kind of take note of certain things that people were having a hard time with when it came to uh, just using their computer and began to ask myself, how can we make, how can I make the apps on computers more intuitive? So that led me to start studying and observing uh, what Apple was doing. And so keep in mind, this is probably early 2000s, right? Steve okay. Jobs is still alive. He's still working at Apple. Okay. The iPhone didn't exist. And at this point, um, everyone was using apps on computers exclusively. Yes. So I was beginning to study you know, patterns of what um, I believed made apps intuitive, easy to use. People always talked about Apple computers being easier and didn't have viruses. So I took note. Yeah. And as I began to do that, I began to start um, learning how to design software, graphic design. And so I remember um, early on my 12th birthday, my parents bought me my first computer. And in that they bought me a, a, an app uh, to design graphics. And in that, I um, began to just spend hours just designing whatever I saw. I would get magazines in the mail, catalogs of electronics, and I would try to draw what I saw uh, as an illustration on the computer. Then that turned into, uh, again, observing Apple computers and just looking at the apps themselves, how they're laid out, how they're designed. So I would try to uh, recreate that in graphic design software. And one thing led to another, I started freelancing online. I, I started um, joining communities online of, of other designers, other software developers who are having conversations around apps and ideas. And again, again, this is before the iPhone existed. Yes. And so through that, I just began to build relationships with different people online. We would collaborate on, on apps and software and websites together. And all of this was just self-taught over time. 
by the time I was um, 17, um, I'd been doing freelance graphic design work for a while, uh, was finishing up school and began to start posting a lot of my work online as a portfolio and just had that steady flow of developers and entrepreneurs who are uh, hiring me uh, now, contractually. Okay, I'm interrupting you, but I have a question. What yeah. mediums were you using to do this then? I'm trying to remember like what period we're in. Like where were people no, sharing? Where were people sharing? Them? Oh yes. Like where were you <laughs> uploading these graphics? Yeah, it's so it's funny. We take for granted the world of social media, Facebook and Instagram yeah. and things like that. But um, they didn't exist when I was doing this. So where okay. was I sharing it? There were a lot of just forums. Okay. Uh, like forums, forums yeah. that were based on specific topics uh, right. online. And I just through Google search found forums where people were saying, hey, I designed this you know, interface for this app or I redesigned Windows to look like a Mac. And so that's how I discovered a lot of these communities online, just through Google. Okay. And I landed, landed on a, um, a couple of forums. Okay. And um, so anyway, so by the time I was about 16 or 17 or so, um, I began to start posting my work on forums and I started sharing my work on my own personal website. Um, and I had launched a company uh, virtually kind of online. It was just a, you know, uh, beautiful website, portfolio work. I had uh, different subcontractors I was working with all throughout the world, like, uh, you know, some in Great Britain and, and Italy and Germany and all over the world. So I put pin drops on a little map on my contact page saying that these yeah. are all of our offices. And it just looked like this really big operation. All of your um, but it was, but it was me, a 16 year old working from home with, you know, uh, <laughs> seven or eight subcontractors collaborating together. Amazing. But we had so much work. I decided, okay, I'll handle the administrative piece and then I'll let uh, a lot of the other designers I met through these forums collaborate with me. So I would, you know, set the scope of the work, give them the, the, the context of what needs to be done and really acted more as a creative director and then took on some personal projects I designed myself. Um, but as I was just doing that into the habit of just, of you know, taking on projects and finishing projects, I was approached by Apple. They discovered my website, saw my portfolio, and wow. offered me a full-time job to work in Cupertino designing apps for uh, Macintosh computers, Mac computers at the time. And you were at this point? 17? I was 17, yeah. 17. Okay. And so finishing up high school, I'm 17, and I was just blown away because uh, they were my inspiration that got me into uh, this you know, design, uh, visual design work. And so to be offered a full-time job was just a dream of a lifetime. So in that, I start the process of conversations. Uh, we do the interviews, we do, um, uh, you know, auditions, and I go, go through that process and finally get to the stage to where they want me to come out to California. And mind you, I'm, I'm based in South Florida. So it's a cross-country flight um, to Cupertino. So as I'm getting ready to do that or make preparations to do that, I remembered, I was like, wait a minute, I should probably tell my parents that I'm in conversation <laughs> with Apple and might be moving to the other, the other side of the country. I can't believe you didn't tell them before. No. <laughs> this it was, it was one of those, I was so used to just emailing and working with people. Uh, it's, it was just instinctive, but um, I had a conversation with them and, and they were, they were excited, but at the same time, uh, I come from a family of faith. So they challenged me to just, pray about that job opportunity and see if the Lord really was leading me to do that. And so I was newer in my faith. And so I prayed through that and, 
And through prayer, just felt the Lord was really leading me not to take that job, as surprising as it was, um, and instead invest more time and more energy um, scaling the company that I had started. Um, he was, he, I felt like he was saying to me, there are things that you can't, there are things I want to do through you in the business that you've started that yeah. you won't have the freedom to do if you take the job at Apple. And so I, I wrestled with that for a couple of days, but then just had that peace and uh, turned down that job opportunity and went f full speed yeah. into building uh, my design company. Are you fighting and, back at that point? I mean, if it's something that you don't necessarily want to hear, you know, I mean, were yeah. you all in before this, like before you started asking, like, is this what I should do? And was I, that hard? I, I would say that it was a mix because I was extremely excited about having the opportunity to work for you know, a, a top tech company and at the same time nervous because I'd never lived anywhere else, you know, ever. Sure. And so it, it was, yeah. a, it was going to be a big change, but I love change. Uh, I love change. So I was just excited all in ready for it. And yeah. when I kept hearing this persistent, just voice of this is not what I have for you. This is not the direction I want to take you. Mm -hmm. I first, I challenged it because I, I was saying to myself, mm -hmm. well, how many people get this opportunity? Right. To just randomly work for a company. Typically, you have to apply and go through the whole process, but they were literally handing me this opportunity. Uh, so I really did wrestle with it for a couple of days, yeah. um, but I just consistently kept hearing this, this, um, this still small voice saying, look at what's before you. Look at what you've done you know, so far. You've built this business. You've got clients. You have you know, something that's running. And so I, I realized this was something I should not just walk away from. So at first I thought maybe I could work for Apple and run this side company at the same time and just yeah. kind of have my hands in both. Yeah. And I literally took that conversation to them and they, they, they said to me, no, this is a full-time job. We want you exclusively. Yeah. And so I knew at that point, it wasn't going to be one of those things to where um, I would feel at peace walking away from what I had started uh, in terms of my, my company. So I turn it down and then went through a season where work actually began to dry up. So the contractual work that was coming through that I thought, yes, this is the right choice. I made the right, you know, I listened to the Lord. I'm moving in the right direction. Yeah. Now you're like, what work the began heck? to kind of slow what? down. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then I started getting a lot of projects that weren't really aligning with my values. Um, you know, okay. different, just different projects that I would never, ever consider um, just coming across my desk. It was just all the wrong types of projects. And so I was just frustrated for a period of time. I was like, uh, God, yeah. what in the world? What I, I thought I heard you say, pursue, build your business yeah. and say no to the dream job. And now I'm getting garbage projects or really nothing at all. Yeah. Um, and that lasted for probably six months. So it was beginning of the year when I got the opportunity from Apple. And by the middle of that year, uh, or really for, for a period of six months, uh, it was just like either no projects or projects that weren't the right fit. Hmm. But by the summer, late summer of, I think it was 2006, I began to get a opportunity that came through um, my website and it was from Microsoft. And they were uh, just impressed with the portfolio, loved the work, wanted to know my availability. And through conversation, it basically led to a, what, what's now a 14 year contract. Wow. Redesigning and maintaining and servicing Microsoft Office for the Mac. And they were one of my first major clients. And then that evolved into working with a lot of different um, publicly traded tech companies uh, as a result of that uh, 
contract opportunity that came through Microsoft, but it was just really neat to see. I had to go through that period of, yeah. I have to turn this down. This seems really difficult. It doesn't make sense. And then you walk through almost like a, a bit of a drought or like it just yes. an off season. And yes. then it came. And don't you feel like it always comes in the last hour? Like the, <laughs> when you're on the brink of giving up or going, oh, yeah. really turning around. So it's just, it's such a fascinating story. Really, yes. neat. you've developed that relationship over years, which has been really yeah. cool. Yeah. So, so that, that evolved into a full service um, digital product design company. And I ran that for 16 years wow. and we worked with startups and publicly traded tech companies and everything in between and yeah. so i did that for for 16 years and then recently made a career change and uh, wound down that company and now i am focused primarily on the marketing side of it so i was often working behind the scenes creating the products that people would sell um, but now i'm actually helping people sell products that uh, I used to create. So it's really being on the other side of it, uh, you know, you, you see the full spectrum of yeah. how uh, human behavior works, user experience, and, you know, what people are promising and what the app needs to deliver. And now I'm in that middle where I connect both of those worlds together. Oh, I love that so much because you've had so many years of experience on the, the back end. And it's like now mm -hmm. it's come full circle where you're using yeah. um, all of those experiences, all of the things that you've seen to just bridge any gaps, right? In that user experience. I feel yeah. like that's where you're really, really strong. So it's really cool to see you now shift into this new season where uh, you are like the strategist and you're really directing that strategy for people, which is amazing. Yeah, because it's it's when when you think about it, a lot of either tech companies or entrepreneurs in any category um, who's very close to their product, they're so familiar with it, they assume that their customer is equally as familiar with their product or service. Mm -hmm. And as a marketer, you have to kind of zoom out and say, well, what if this is your customer's first time even understanding that they have this particular challenge yeah. and they need your product to solve that problem? How right. can we speak to them on an entry level perspective? So they can wrap your head around it. Okay. So that's the world I, I now um, I live in, if you will. I'm, I'm translating things that maybe technical people assume and making it easy for the regular average individual to just say, this makes sense to me. And you've given me the words to tell my friends, right? So that's, that's where I get excited, just making things extremely clear, simple, easy to understand, and you, know, you want to motivate your audience to take action and it goes back uh, to the roots, work with you. Right? Like it goes back to the initial like gift you really had, right? As a as an early teenager designing yeah. things so that they looked clean, so that they looked simple, they were easy yes. to understand. You're still doing that just in a still doing it. <laughs> context. Isn't that cool? I mean that's it's really that, neat. Yeah. That's that identity-based strategy piece, right? I say it's yes. like threads throughout your life. Look back at those threads. What common threads really weave all the way through your life and you're usually using them just maybe in different facets in different, that's it. different capacities so that's exactly really yeah it, it's it's when people understand then they can finally move forward right yeah. and so i i'm always looking for ways to remove barriers roadblocks things that that sit in front of the of reaching the potential uh that's i love doing that so it's been really neat to do that through understand then they can move forward so a lot yes. of times people don't buy people don't engage because they don't understand either 
what you're selling, or they may not understand how to get it or how to interact with you, right? There's exactly. many different factors. Exactly. Really exactly. That's yeah. Uh, so let's dive in a little bit to the, the meat of, of this talk today. And I'm, I'm really excited about it because it's one of the things that um, really brings clients back repeatedly. And it makes, uh, it makes your business cyclical rather than a funnel that goes just from the top to the bottom, right? But it, in a, almost like that flywheel that you've talked about a lot. Yeah. And I love that illustration. So tell me a little bit about what you've been working on with clients in terms of just that word of mouth strategy and framing that conversation. Yeah. So I work with a lot of um, boutique service providers who have built a strong reputation for what they do uh, in the natural world, in person. Um, you know, whether you're an architect or a wealth manager, someone is always looking for what you do, but they want a referral, right? Yeah. Um, traditionally, in the boutique service provider space, um, people feel comfortable working with that individual and paying that premium price because there's trust. There's an established relationship there. And yeah. so often, most of my clients um, receive their business through a very strong recommendation or referral. And so one of the things that I do is I kind of reverse engineered what makes a referral good, what makes a recommendation actually stick, okay. right? And so we have to kind of think through, you know, the different types of referrals that are that are out there. Uh, there's really three. Uh, there's the uh, customer referral, there's the vendor referral, and then there, there is the automated or algorithmic referral. Okay. And I'll break those three things down, but uh, we'll spend okay. most of our time on the customer referral. Okay. Um, so the customer referral is anytime a business, a existing client that you may have worked with tells a colleague or friend about their experience working with your business. And now that person has the uh, information they need to confidently work with that referral. Okay. Uh, an example of this would be if I was looking for a good mechanic for my car and I maybe was looking for someone who um, you know, I trusted who has also had work done in their car, I'm gonna ask a friend and say, hey, who is a good mechanic that I can talk to? And they're going to obviously list off their favorite and explain how they took care of them, giving their personal experience. Yeah. And what that does for a individual who's receiving this referral is that it, it first, it gives context mm -hmm. uh, as to what to expect. It removes that fear of the unknown of, Will this person take care of me? Uh, what's their process like? So it gives context. Yeah. But then secondly, it gives a benchmark for what is standard. What is the ideal? Because now when someone refers me to a mechanic and says they do good work, this is their process, I now have something in my mind that I can compare all the other things I'm considering against. Mm -hmm. right? and, if, and, if my, and if my referral from my friend outweighs all of the other options I was looking at as I'm searching on Google or what have you, then I'm going to move forward with my, what my referral, um, what my friend said. Yeah. And lastly, it gives credibility, meaning I now not only see what their, what their process is like, I, also, I have a standard or a benchmark of what to expect, but I also trust the relationship because I know they took care of uh, my friend who referred yeah. me. So yeah. it does those three right. things. It gives context, it gives a benchmark and it gives credibility. credibility. And that's really what a customer referral is all about. Okay. 
the other two that I mentioned, vendor referrals, this is business to business. This is, yep. you know, let's say for example, in marketing, if I'm a web designer, I'm looking for a web development, uh, web developer, or if I do SEO and I'm looking for a content writer, that's going to be vendor supplier referrals. And that's what that's all about. Yep. And then the third one that I mentioned, algorithmic, we really don't hear many people talk about that, but this is really when you buy something on Amazon and it said, here's some products that might be compatible with what you just bought or because you bought this, you know, water hose, do you want a water spout? It's things like that that are all automatic or algorithmic uh, that are driven by okay. you know, technology. But, but the main area of referrals that I work with is the customer referral category. And okay. so um, the biggest challenge that I think many business leaders run into is the fact that they just assume um, and I ran into this issue when I ran my first company. Uh, I always had word of mouth referrals. It was just hundred percent referral based. I didn't do any marketing, didn't do any sales. Uh, I just did good work for one client. And then I expected that client to refer me to another client. And it did that. It worked for a, a period of time, but then I reached a point to where the referrals just began to dry up. Okay. And I was trying to figure out, well, why, why does this happen? Yeah. Um, and it goes back to this. If you have, if you don't have a strategy for word of mouth referrals, you're going to be playing this game of guessing when is that next project coming and where is it coming from? Yes. And so I work with companies helping them build a strategy for their word of mouth referrals so they can build a reputation online to match that reputation they already have in person. That's really good. Okay. So you're really helping them develop out their strategy that has been kind of loosely based on nurturing relationships, but you're right. helping them translate that into what it needs to look like on platforms. Is yes. that pretty much to sum yes. it up? Okay. Yes. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I feel like that's a difficult thing for a lot of people to do on their own mm -hmm. because they don't know how to take those informal relationships really that they've developed and translate that into a strategy that works. Are you seeing yes. that they're having difficulty yes. making that connection? Yeah, a lot of it goes back to, yeah, when you, that connection is really important. And I think because there's this assumption, when you have your busy season, you just assume that more work is going to come in because often um, boutique service providers um, are either solopreneurs or they work with a very small team. So they're usually overwhelmed by the volume of work that comes in through the referral as it stands. Yeah. So there often isn't this big push to uh, build the funnel or you know think through all the channels in which referrals come through. But when you reach that period of a dry season or when you want to begin to start developing uh, new streams of revenue from different channels, mm -hmm. um, this is where the strategy begins to shine. And so, one of the things I like to, to describe is I want every business that I work with to understand this, that there's a process, there's a journey that your customer is going through before they reach you. And yeah. by the time they decide to give you a call and go through the process of discovery and looking at your products and services, there's a series of steps they've gone through yeah. just to get to that point. And that's what we call the buyer's journey. And so there are five stages to the buyer's journey, um, and it's pretty common in terms of how it's described, but I, I really boil them down to these five. First, you have to become aware. The customer has to become aware of a problem or pain oh. that they are experiencing. Yes. And in the context of your business, they need to be aware of the pain that you solve, mm -hmm. right? So how are they becoming, how are they discovering this pain? Yeah. Secondly, 
they have to then consider the options. This is where uh, maybe someone in their network might be referring them to your business. Yeah. So there's this consideration stage. They're doing research. They're looking you up online. They're trying to see if your website is saying what your customer has said about you. They're probably checking your Instagram. They're checking your LinkedIn. They're trying to see, are you the real deal? That's is this, is this person legitimate? Can they yeah. actually take care of me? Can and I in some them? cases, mm-hmm. can I even get along with them? Right. So, yeah. so these are all things that are happening in this consideration stage. Then they make a decision. That's when they actually sign the contract, buy the product, make the transaction, and they begin to work with you. And then in that process, they are now uh, in this retention stage, right? How long are they going to do business with you? Is this a one-time transaction? Is this repeat business? You know, there's a lot of gold in helping your customer do repeat business with you. It's actually less expensive to service your existing clients than it is to acquire new cold traffic yes 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 (laughs) and then and then from there the the last stage is the advocacy stage or the advocate stage and that's where word of mouth strategy begins to shine because every time you have an existing client who has a good experience they are the prime candidate to become your advocate and the name of the game is to give your existing clients um moments in their experience with you that they can look back on and they get excited they're proud to tell that story of transformation they experienced and now they've become your advocate and they are they are basically uh feeding your 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 funnel with new trusted warm contacts so good that's so good Mm -hmm. mike thank you that what you just shared there was absolute gold and for anyone listening i think if you can take, if you were walking through this or play it back and listen to this and think about your own journey that your customers go on and where any gaps are, you'll probably start to see them emerge and, and where you need to concentrate your efforts first. And it helps you prioritize your action items, prioritize your focus, right? In bridging those gaps in your customer nurturing journey. So thank you. That was really, really valuable. Uh, where are the biggest holes would you say that you're seeing uh, in working with clients in terms of customer journeys, like in, within those five stages that you just described, mm-hmm. what's, a, what's the common pain point for, for business? I would owners? say that um, when you think of the, again, the five stages, awareness, consideration, decision, retention, and advocacy, the biggest challenge, uh, the biggest gaps I often see are in the consideration stage. Okay. Um, the consideration see. between awareness and consideration. If you are looking for something, right, and you discover the answer for the pain that you have, that answer is timely because you need what that solution provides, right? But if you are not searching for a particular pain, but you're bombarded with digital ads online and you're getting emails that aren't talking to something you can relate to, it's no longer timely. And so every good referral um, has to be timely. It has to be from a credible source and it has to be from a relationship we trust, right? And so the gap that I'm seeing is in this consideration stage between awareness and consideration. Sometimes we spend a lot of efforts and energy marketing to people who don't have that pain right now. So it's not timely. And then after we've spent dollars on Facebook or, or what have you, uh, LinkedIn or wherever we're advertising, then when we are trying to get people to make a decision, 
we aren't necessarily the right person to press, um, to make the case that you need to work with us. Many businesses forget that it's the relationships, your existing customers that have trust of your future clients. So we need to spend less energy trying to do the hard sale, trying to, um, you know, show up everywhere with, with ads and, and persuasive language and instead empower our existing clients to become our advocates, to see people who have that pain and then give the timely recommendation, which then leads to new business. So it's that gap between customers becoming aware of the pain and then making the consideration. If we can get those things correct, a timely referral, a, uh, give them the information they need on your website or your social media to be, to be positioned as someone who's credible from a trusted relationship that removes the biggest gaps that I see in that area. So good. Thank you, Mike. More gold. I love it. I just, (laughs) just, I just love it. Okay. Um, So as we wrap up here, I want to leave our listeners with some tangible things, maybe that they can start to think about today or some some quick things that they can start to evaluate. So what are just a couple things that come to mind, you know, as we wrap up this conversation of things that they can use to start to evaluate what they need to do? Yeah, I would say the first and first and foremost, if you're in business, you you likely have a website and that's going to be one of the places that your customers discover you. As we think about this whole word of mouth um, you know, experience or journey. Um, if someone is looking for you in Google, they're likely going to run across one of your touch points. And we want to make sure that whatever they see first is consistently saying what your customers are saying about you. So I'd say tangibly speaking, if you have a website, you want to make sure your website does these three things. One, it explains what you do from the perspective of the person who has this pain. They're now aware of this problem. That's the key from their perspective. From their perspective, not I've been in business for 30 years and we've won all these awards and look at all of our happy customers. No, it needs to say, you know, you're experiencing this pain. We understand. Here's some practical examples of how we've solved it. Take these next two steps or three steps and have that problem solved. So it needs to say what you do. It also needs to describe what's in it for me, right? So if I'm the customer, it's great that you do that great thing, but how does that change my life? So it needs to get really tangible there. And you can do this with uh, case studies from customers, you know, written testimonials of how they've experienced that transformation of your product or service, or you can show your portfolio. You know? So again, if you're, you know, have, have a, a business that can showcase a portfolio of your work, um, use that as an opportunity to show your client what's in it for them. And lastly, uh, your website needs to explain how you can get how that customer can get access to what they just read and what they just saw. And sometimes we make it so complicated. We make them fill out this application and then we send them an email and and then they don't know what to expect next. Make it really clear. Yeah. Contact us, schedule a call, you know, yeah. visit our store, whatever it is. Yeah. Make it very simple. So I would say that that's going to be some tangible things that will keep anyone occupied for the next couple of days as they work to fine tune um, their, their website, which is your biggest touch point. There are some practical things you could do for your social media as well. Uh, I can give an example if you'd like. Um, if you have an Instagram account, which many businesses uh, do, um, you wanna make sure that your Instagram uh, does 
does these three things. Uh, one, it describes a little bit about you, right? Mm-hmm. Because people want to know who's behind the business, who's running it. So it adds that personal layer. Then it shows examples of your product or service, you know, examples of your work. And the best way to do this is to show it kind of in real life, not just a staged product, but show it in real life because people want to imagine themselves with that product or service. Um, And then give examples, highlight examples of what other people are saying about you. This gives that credibility, but it also connects it to relationships that they might be able to relate to, right? So this is where you might have an influencer or an actual customer who might tag you repost it in your feed. Um, Help them experience the transformation that you provide with your product or service by seeing what other other people are saying. So your Instagram should tell a little bit about you, give examples of your work, and then also uh, show what other customers are saying. And if you do those two things across your website and your your Instagram, you're going to um, convert way more referrals that head your way. than you would ever imagine, honestly, because now you're validating the thing that they're looking for. Isn't that wild? That really we probably, most of us may have probably have heard these things before, right? And it's it reminds me of like, we need to be reminded more than instructed because we get down rabbit holes. We get distracted. We get overwhelmed by all of the things that we think we need to do, uh-huh. the things we need to learn more about or you know where we need to go. But I love how you just stated those things so simply. Just play this back, write those things down um, and just actually do those simple things and I think you'll experience results already. And we're also going to drop, Mike, your uh, information in our show notes so that people can get in touch with you if they're interested in taking this a step further. Because um, if you're a business owner that really needs a plan and you need that translation piece, which is really key in terms of um, setting your presence up uh, on those platforms, then Mike can definitely help you. So Mike, just thank you so much for being on today. It was just so great having you. And I love your story every time. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. It was awesome.